if you're sitting with a banker uh, and you feel like you need to have a shower after, you're probably not <laughs> dealing with the right person. You know, right. if you're sitting with an investment guy or a life insurance guy, you just feel like, man, I got to go clean myself. You're probably not sitting with the, with the right person. I am very happy to bring this gentleman to the podcast, and I think it's really important that we're going to be touching on this topic of finances. Now, he's always talking about making moves, finances, money, stuff like that. He lives it, right? And the type of person that you want to get advice from is the type of person uh, that practices what they preach. Uh, Jay Lees, he does that. He's regional vice president of Primerica. He's based right here in Ottawa. And I'm very happy to have you on the show. How are you doing this morning? Great, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. All right. Now, I'm just going to jump right into it with you. And I told you that I would. I come from uh, an MLM background. Okay. And there is some stigma to MLM. Great products. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing it for years. Some people look at it as being a scam, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that when you mention Primerica to some people, maybe they're taken back a little. And yeah. as I've gotten to know people through the years in your type of financial background, it's really you guys against the banks. You are specialized in what you do to where banks seem to take on a much more general, broader spectrum. Could you just, number one, let's just, let's get through that stigma and give you an opportunity just to say, what is it exactly that you do that's different from the banks? Why is what you do so special to the marketplace? Yeah, well, I think it's very easy. In the late 80s, you know, the banks were, used to be in wealth management. But as the government began to deregulate banks, they went from wealth management into debt management. So their job, and, and anyone who's gone to college knows this, you walk into a college day one, there's guys in and out credit cards and a case of beer and you sign up for your credit card. Then they're gonna teach you to manage that credit card till the day you die. And so they're not really giving you advice. And, and I wanna get off on a, on, a, on a clear foot. If there's bankers watching this, I, I think there's honestly, there's great people that work in the bank. They're not the challenge. The challenge is the system is broken. You know, the stigma that sometimes is attached to Primerica is that, you know, can you make real money here? Well, the truth of it is, I always say, I think that you've got to learn to make money by helping people. And I, I feel fortunate because I found one of those few that you can make good money. And if you're smart, you'll recruit. You know, if you're smart, you'll recruit and teach other people to do it. That's just a very simple way. But when we can go out and teach someone how to get, you know, 90% of all the money in Canada is sitting at, 1% rate of return or just under 3% rate of return. And people have no idea that there's other stuff out there. 90%, $1.5 trillion is sitting at the bank getting less than 3%. So what we've got to do is we've got to figure out how to learn how to invest, but using terms like I, I when I sit down with famous, I use forwards, defensemen, and a goalie, it's something that people can relate to and understand. So that's essentially all we're doing. We're teaching them to go from, from debt management into a wealth management program, teaching them how to eliminate debt, you know, classic stuff that our grandparents did, not so much, well, maybe even my parents, if you're part of that baby boom generation, yes, but my generation has grown up on the, on the credit card and, and borrow, uh, you know, spend now, think about it later kind of thing. So that's, it's just a transition of a mindset. Okay, so what's the number one thing that usually blows people's minds 
that gets their attention. You must have that one thing where maybe you're having a hard time getting through and you're like, boom, I'm going to drop this. This is going to open their eyes. And that gives you the opportunity to get in there and share the information that you'd like. There's a ton, honestly, I think the number one rule, the thing that can really open people's eyes, if they, I always tell people this, if you never meet me again, there's something called the rule of 72, also known as the banker's secret. It's, it's Albert Einstein's theory of compounding. The way it works, very simple. You take the rate of return you're getting on your investment. You divide that number into 72. The answer you get is the number of years it's going to take your money to double. So if you think of this, you go into a daily interest savings, and if you get 1%, your money's going to double in 72 years. If you're getting a 6% rate of return, your money doubles in 12 years. That is a big difference in doubling. Not like, you know, 1 to 2,000. Well, 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 1 to 2,000 is doubling, but, you know, 10,000 to 20,000 to 40,000 to 80,000, 160, and it goes on 320, 640, 1.2. It's truly compounding MLM. This is, this is the, the secret. Okay. I was going to say, that sounds like compound interest. <laughs> but also, that also works against you with debt too, right? Right. So true. Well, why is interest rate important? Why is it, you know, why should I have a credit card at 22%? You think of what the banks are making. And here's my biggest challenge with the banks. Who's being held accountable for lending that student with no income? Who, who is being held accountable on that? Who's being held accountable on, you know, we're bailing out the banks, but when we need a bailout option from the banks, guess what? They're not there to help us. Right. So that's the challenge. There's no accountability in the lending industry anymore. And it's, it's friggin' frustrating. Right. So I'll give you an example right now. I'm out there doing some refinancing, taking a look at refinancing. I'm self-employed. It's difficult, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and the banks basically work as algorithms. I could try to sit there and say, like, listen, you guys are like a multi-trillion dollar industry, and I'm just a guy. Do you think you can put me to someone who can just stroke a pen and say, this guy's okay, uh, you know, he owns two homes? Now, I'm guessing in a bank, that's not going to happen. Now, with you, maybe the same thing won't happen, but I'm going to think that maybe there's a little bit more invested interest that someone can do personally that works in your industry to maybe help me find some alternatives or at least some guidance to how I can navigate these waters a little bit more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. Well, our whole business is based around something called a financial needs analysis or an F&A. There they're fairly common. The challenge is that most of the industry doesn't deal with anyone. Well, middle income. Most of the industry has just gone. Middle income has been, you know, forgotten, pushed to the side because there's just not enough money to be made in that uh, marketplace. So there's really not a lot of places for people to turn. So the, the point is, is you've got to find, if you're sitting with a banker uh, and you feel like you need to have a shower after, you're probably not dealing with the right person, you know, right. if you're sitting with an investment guy or a life insurance guy, you just feel like, man, I got to go clean myself. You're probably not sitting with the, with the right person. We're not, we're not yet in the lending business. There are rumors that within the next month, like I know a couple of people who've gone to get their mortgage licenses. So I'm not there yet, but I can't, I can't wait till that marketplace opens up for me. I can't right. wait. Absolutely. Cause it gives you a chance to have that personal touch. For instance, I have uh, an appointment at the bank tomorrow and I don't know who I'm meeting. It's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, now, I'm sure I get that choice amongst those people that are there, but I mean, I'm sure there's many more people uh, that are doing finance in your 
in your capacity opposed to how many bankers there would be in mm. Canada? I would say there's more. There's more independent people. Yeah, it, and if, if they're any good at the bank, they're gone. They're promoted. Right. You know, if they're if they if they're any good, they're out of there. You'll never see them again. <laughs> right. Now, I just need a yes or no for this question. Yes. Okay. RSPs, GICs, still something good to invest in? That's not a good yes or no, an easy yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's because I don't freaking know. <laughs> okay, so listen, without going too deep into it now, uh, and I'll, I'll, le I'll lead you in on this, so um, it, it, I don't want it to be like inundating somebody with too much. I don't want their head to explode. Yeah. Talk, to, talk to me, the person that reads at a grade four level. So I okay. need simple, okay? So an RSP. That seems to be the go-to that you hear, right? Put your money in RSPs. And let's say if I had to give you the general things about an RSP is that if I take them out early, I'm gonna pay a lot of taxes on them. I think if I wait till they mature, I still pay taxes on them. Um, another thing would be that if I want to use them towards relaxing my taxes or potentially putting them through to buy a home. Yes. That's what I know about RSPs in regards to how I allocate those RSPs to make that shit happen. No idea. So just speak to me on those things that I spoke to you on. Well, first thing, RSPs, you should never touch them. You put the money in until you retire, you don't touch them. Just a, a plain rule of thumb. Uh, I don't like the first time home buyers program because it, people, you can retire with debt. You can't retire without money. People have to understand that. Yeah, debt is terrible to have, but RSPs are great. For, for us, for wealthy, wealthy people generally stay away because of the tax uh, at retirement. There, there's just more tax efficient ways, whether it's capital gains or, you know, or um, dividends or, or whatever, tax-free savings accounts. You know, RSPs, the simple rule of thumb. Now, I've been lucky. I, I've had a coach, uh, Brian, who is, he treats me like one of his kids. And it's always been, you don't touch your RSPs. He's very vocal about that to me and his kids your RSPs are only for one thing and that's retirement. And the idea behind it is you get a big tax refund now, but when you retire, you'll have a little bit less money. So you'll pay less taxes when you pull it out of retirement. That's the principle behind it. The way you want to think about it, if they were, you know, if they're good enough that the government will cap it because the government doesn't want you taking too much advantage of them. That's why right. they cap it. Okay. So it is a decent investment. It may not be where you put your money right now, but you're saying it's a decent investment for yeah. your retirement. It's a registration, right? So you can, you can use your RSP in different types of investments. RSP is just a registration. Okay. Tax-free account is a registration. Right. So you think that everyone should have RSPs then? Yeah, and middle income for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. GICs, I've never known much about these. I know that they're in the toilet right now. I mean, I guess that's due to COVID, <laughs> which seems to have a lot of things down. Like why? Is there another reason? No, GICs are just a terrible, uh, terrible from day one. They'll always be terrible. What the, what the idea is, you take your money down, they're going to lock in your, uh, lock in your rate of return. Okay. Generally, the rate of return is 1%, maybe 1.25. Sometimes you'll see 1%, 4%. If you read the fine print, it's 4% accumulative over five years. Oh, so okay. Less than a percent. But inflation is 3%. So you actually lose 2% a year just by investing in GICs. Right. They're, they're, they're a terrible, terrible investment. Banks, easy to sell, because I know I had one. Banker sold me by saying, hey, Jay, do you like to lose money? My answer was no. 
He said, great, put it here. Okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm listening to a lot of financiers around the world. And because of the pandemic, people are freaking out. There's talk of the American dollar going to poop because they're just printing out too much. I think they just printed a trillion dollars or something like that. They took from the reserve. So the steps are already being taken, right? And there will likely be some bailouts. We don't know how much longer this is going to go, how a vaccine might impact this whole deal, whatever the story might be. But there's a lot of people talking about buying gold and silver and things of that nature. Do you think it's good regardless to have some gold and silver in your portfolio? It seems like gold is always a good investment. Or is it just not time to press that panic button just yet and kind of keep things business as usual? Or is it really time to adapt to today's marketplace? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's hard to tell the future when you're emotionally invested, right? Mm-hmm. The more emotionally invested you are, which I am, the harder the future becomes. You become blinded to the possibilities. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this. Back in the 70s when the oil crisis was there, if you read, the, you read Time magazine, it probably read the same as what you just said. You know, in 2008, we will never recover from this. And this was the, I mean, this wasn't just, um, that was a a widely accepted thought that the world will never recover from 2008. It was a widely accepted, it's been, the world has ended financially 10 times in the past and the world has always recovered. So if we, if we keep that in mind and we just play it to ear, this is why making sure that if you do have investment accounts, you're positioned for security, not growth. Don't be greedy right now. Just be focused on security in your portfolios. And, and that's, that's the main thing by bond funds and things like that. Um, making sure you're diversified. I can go in. I mean, to, again, that's not really a, a simple question. We get, right. I guess you uh, can be get, get Well, go into it. Bond funds. What's a bond fund? Well, bond fund is essentially when I always ask people, do you know what a bond is? People say things, yeah, I know what a bond is. I say, can you explain it? They say, I, don't, I have no idea what a bond is. And we, we, we know it because we watch CTV and we see bonds are up, bonds are down. Bonds act the opposite of interest rates. Interest rates are going down, bonds are going up. Uh, interest rates are going up, bonds are going down. Essentially, what a bond is, is you're walking down to the government and you're saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lend you 100 bucks. Government says, hey, thank you so much. Come back next year, we'll give you 103 bucks. So a bond is essentially borrowing debt. So bonds, bonds, you know, if you get a grease bond or, you know, a couple of years ago, grease bonds were paying like 22% interest. You know, Ontario had a situation a couple of years ago where, where their, their risk, the Ontario bonds are paying six, 7%. So the, the more bond um, pays, the more risky it is. But the truth of it is bonds, like especially Canadian savings bonds, they're safe. The government is not going to default on their loans um, right yet. Anyways, so for the foreseeable future, bond funds are good to have. They're going to pay 3 to 4%. They're a good portion, a good rule of thumb. Warren Buffett said, if you are 50 years old, 50% of your portfolio should be in bonds. So it's okay. just a good rule of thumb to have, or if you're 40, 40%. And these bonds that you're talking about right now, are these, are these bonds that you're able to liquidate quickly? They're not locked into anything? You can sell oh, yeah. whatever? Yeah, most bond mutual funds, like a mutual fund portfolio that has, uh, you know, a bond fund, like a total return bond fund would be, uh, oh yeah, you can, you can sell it at any time you want. Okay, because if I want to have like a big party and a pile of cocaine on my peninsula yeah, yeah. right there. You can have <laughs> Okay, thank God. Okay, go bonds, go bonds. Okay, so for the person that has money sitting underneath their mattress, how dumb is that? Or is it not that dumb? Well, 
okay, here's a perfect story. In 2016, there was a presidential race, right, between a businessman and a career politician. And everyone said, if that businessman wins, the world is going to end financially. So what a lot of people did was they took their money out of the market. When they did that, the Dow was sitting at about 17,000. Even with what's going on today, the Dow, I think yesterday was at 25,000. So all those people who thought that, who, who emotionally got tied to that, lost a lot of money. And so it's important to make sure that you're invested in the markets. However, like I said before, you've got to make sure that you have downside protection, that you're well diversified, and that you understand, because that's another area. I, I know that Primerica has done a very good job that when we sit down with investment people, most of the agents I know do in extensive education programs, teaching people so they can actually understand what they're doing. And I, I don't think it's very different across Primerica, but most, most agents do that. Okay. Now, for the person that wants to play the market on their own, <laughs> and I don't know, I kind of see the market very much like a casino. And people seem to want to break the casino. They go there to make their money, but there's a reason why the casino looks like a casino. It's because yeah. most people lose. Yeah. And I believe that investing, and I think this comes through media and movies, like a lot of Hollywood, where everyone's looking for that big investment to where Bitcoin. They're, waiting, they're always waiting for a Bitcoin where, oh, if I buy this thing at $100, that's going to shoot up to be $20,000. That might one day go to be $200,000. Let's just squash this right now if we can. What is the likelihood of ever coming across an investment like that, like a Bitcoin, that will pay you that type of cash? Well, this is the way you want to think about it. If you put all your eggs in one basket, right, this is the thing that we've been told. One of two things can happen. You put all your money there, and all of a sudden that thing skyrockets, you'll make a killing. But if for some reason it doesn't, you'll get killed. So if you don't know how the markets work, one good strategy, actually Kevin Hart, I just saw him talking about this, that he's taking this strategy on, is that what do you use around your household? There's a guy here in Ottawa called, I can't remember his name, he's the youngest millionaire in Canada, age 30. All he did was he looked in his bathroom. When he'd go over to his friends, he'd open up their medicine cabinet. What kind of toothpaste they use? Mm. Well, they use Colgate or they use Crest. So he would just buy Colgate and Crest. And all he does is, what he does is takes a dividend strategy. So companies like that, their, their stock price might stay the same forever, like Loblaws. Loblaws never has missed a dividend. But if you invest in Loblaws, you're going to start getting dividend checks. If you have that dividend check reinvested, your value of your investment will go up. So that's called a dividend position. So they just take a dividend position, not focused on growth companies. They just want companies that you use. What kind of detergent do you use? What kind of toilet paper do you use? You know, you're straight out of toilet paper, that kind of stuff, right? Booyah! Glantmedia.ca. Media. <laughs> media. I love you. One of those? Let me give you a heart. <laughs> Go ahead. Thank you. They use, they use products that we use every day. It's the simplest strategy. And, and you think, because you have now insider trading, you understand what people are using. So you do that little bit of research and you can actually get involved in the stock market. But just, just be careful. There's nothing wrong with getting a little advice as well. Okay, so what about this looking for businesses that are tanking that might come back? So right now, the things that I've been looking at are the banks, right? The banks are down. Uh, TD, RBC, stuff like that. Down about a quarter percent, whatever. Uh, and then I'm looking at some of the uh, 
flight networks, I guess I'm going to call them flight companies, airports, airlines. Yeah, got it. Nailed it. Four tries. And a lot of them are down. Like American Airlines is down to $9 a share, or usually it's 40 things of that nature. Um, is it worth throwing a little bit of cash at businesses like that? I'm thinking like, this is going to recover. People will fly again, right? So if I have the money and I can separate myself from this money for a little bit, is, is that not worth it to try to make a quick buck? Or would you say, take that money and put it somewhere a little bit more secure? Or is it good to do a little bit of both because you were talking about diversifying? Yeah, I, I think it's important. A, a man smarter than me once said, invest in what you know. You know, for me, I, I know mutual funds. I don't know stock. I have, I, I have a little bit of stock. I do invest in Primerica. Not that that's a, you know, I'm not telling people to buy that or anything, but I, I know Primerica. So I invest in that. Right. Um, but I, I stick with mutual funds. And I, what I would say to people is if you're going to educate yourself in one area, really focus on your education. If that's what you're going to do in, in um, that's called a growth stance. So you want to take a growth position in your stock, then, then research that. Mm -hmm. But it, it there's a lot of people say you really to get in the stock market and be invested, you need 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to be properly diversified in a stock market. So okay. to be honest with you, I've always stuck with mutual funds because there's people I go meet mutual fund, um, uh, fund managers and I, they're smarter than me. I'll let them do that crap kind of crap. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Know your strengths. I do that with my mentoring course, Everybody's Upline. I don't talk about things I don't know. I talk about the things that I know very, very well. Uh, and that makes you an effective teacher. Now, you mentioned education, and I think education is so important that a lot of people do things, they might do them wrong, and then they often blame other people, even if they were taken down that path, and they walk down that path blindly. And in reality, they trust and that's a good thing. And the person that they put their trust in should have probably known what they were doing anyways. But yeah. there was also another way to stop that you could have stopped that from happening. And that would have been by being educated yourself. Exactly. And I know that in, in my line of business, well, when I was much more active in MLM, uh, doing the mentoring that I did, education was key. And there are so many people that get started in that business and they never do any education. Mm -hmm. They may go through some of the steps, but they come through to these obstacles and then instead of educating themselves on how to get past those obstacles or become better network marketers or reading books on sales, human psychology, all that kind of stuff, they never do it. And that's why so few people uh, move to that next level. So education is absolutely key for anyone that's out there watching this podcast, whatever it is that you do, uh, know it a little bit better, be a little bit better than the next person uh, and be that person that says, <laughs> you know, uh, a smarter person told me, uh, but at the same time, being smart enough to do the work yourself uh, to make sure that you're not getting taken down those paths that you don't want to go. Um, it must be much easier when you run into someone that's asking you, hey, can you help me with A, B, C, or D? And they have some understanding of exactly what it is that they're wanting to achieve. Yes? Absolutely. Or do you find it better for someone to just to be in there blindly and you have to kind of teach them? Uh, no, it depends on who taught them, right? Uh, so sometimes there, there's conceptions, misconceptions on how, how money works. I think insurance is big in that area where people have just, you know, they, this is what their parents did. This is their, what their dad told them, their mom told them. And th the truth of it is, is that the math on it, I'm lucky because I'm in an industry where we're doing with math. Math is a science and science is fact. So it's easy to show someone uh, logically the numbers and they can make up their mind for their own. But sometimes we go down a path where they just get ignorant. No, this is what my dad told me. And look, my dad, I, my dad's my hero. 
And so it's hard to sometimes forget about that and say, okay, well, what do, what do the experts say? What does every book in the industry say? That kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it can be challenging sometimes. Okay. Uh, what do you dislike the most about your industry? <laughs> um, there is, well, you know what, honestly, to, to be perfectly honest, it's the misleading um, in our industry across the board. It, there's, there's a lot of lawsuits going on right now. And I think the investment industry itself is under attack um, from the regulation, from the regulators with good reason. Um, there's churning going on, which is invest in investment advisors, having people sign blank forms. It's shady stuff, man, because the challenge is, is that they, they put quotas on them and companies keep cutting back their pay and their pay and their pay and they get desperate and they make moves. I've seen situations where we had a client who had, originally started off with $300,000 and he thought he had that. And um, when we went to the, the transfer of all these different accounts, there was only $70,000 left because he kept transferring the money because he had cancer. This agent had cancer, didn't tell the client and kept transferring the money from company to company to company to recycle his commissions. And I'll tell you, that's, that's a, that's a, this guy's like 55 years old, thought he had four, a 300,000 or whatever it was. And now he's down to like 70 grand. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's some bad stuff out there. Yeah. All the more reason to do your research, right? And find the Absolutely. person that you want to do some business Never with. Never sign a blank form. Ever. Ever sign a blank form. Ever. Ever. <laughs> Read that crap. Okay. And what do you love the most about your industry? I love. Here we go. <laughs> my, I, honestly, I, honestly, I love showing people that it is actually possible to get debt free. Even if, you did, if I didn't get paid, it would still be worth it. There's something about, I love putting the plan together. When I sit down, I ask them a ton of questions. They give me all their stuff. It's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. If I could do that all day, every day, and I never had to see another person again, I just got to piece all the puzzle together. It's my favorite thing in the world to how can we play you know, this section off this section where because we're licensed, we're, we have the advantage, we're licensed in all the different industries, we can actually play them off of each other. So it's that's my favorite part, putting the really? puzzle together, doing the best for the family. That's without a question my favorite part. And why is that? Like, how did you grow up to where that's fun for you? Like, there must be something about you and your everyday regular life that makes that a fun and challenging thing. Do you know what that might be? Like, do you like doing puzzles? Like, are you a puzzle guy? Uh, not really, no. But, okay. I, you know, my personality, so I'm, uh, I'm extroverted blue. Or sorry, extroverted orange. I don't know if you ever did that. Yeah. But my second personality is blue, and I'm introverted blue. So I don't like to talk about it, but I love, I love the feeling of knowing that I can truly help somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's where I get, that's where that part of me comes in. The competition side to see can I get them out of debt a year sooner. But I love the blue side of me. I, I care deeply what other people think, which is this is not a good business to be in, you know, um, or industry to be in if you don't have a thick skin. And, uh, you know, it's, it does hurt me, but at the same point in time, it's, it's probably my biggest weakness, but my greatest asset, I'd say. Right. Where my heart must leave. So, yeah, you do. And I think that's great. And I said right off the top, and I've seen you a couple of times. I've been, if I were to take screenshots just throughout this whole podcast, you're like, oh, and you're like, yeah. And you're like, mm. it's like, <laughs> it's the best. Uh, so, who is the man, Jay? What are you doing when you're not helping people get out of debt? 
well, I've got a family. Um, you know, I, my kids are important. Um, I've got uh, a 17 year old going on 35 where she just knows more than everybody. Right. So, you know, teaching her how to drive right now and helping her, you know, get a grasp on life. I think as parents, we have one job and that's to make sure that we send a kid out in the world that other people like, you know, and want to have around, right? So that's, that's my main job. And so you know, I'm trying to teach her that part, my, my lack of wisdom on her. But then I've got a, a, a 14 year old who's autistic and um, she is, she knows cars. She's very good with that stuff. So we created a, a YouTube channel uh, called Passenger Seat Review. And we have a lot of fun. My, my thing is cars. I love cars. I was, you know, didn't grow up playing hockey. I grew up, you know, racing cars and boxing. And so I was always in kind of single seat sports or one-on-one -on -one sports. So, you know, cars are my thing. That's, uh, that's fun. And then I just, I do a lot of research and I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if you're like this, the acquisition of knowledge. I, so I, I rarely watch TV, read a lot, uh, do that kind of stuff. And I don't know why I, lo I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And master your craft. So yeah. let's talk about JC, if you don't mind me using the name, I just did. Sure. And, and yeah. I'm not gonna do the editing. <laughs> so passenger seat review, I've watched a couple of these and these are fantastic. Give us a little bit more of a, of a background of what passenger seat review is because I think it's really important that this message gets out there because I'd love to see you get a slew of followers and then yeah. talk about some of the cars that you're gonna be driving and all that cool shit. Yeah, so we, you know, we, it started off as just, on her birthday and things like that, we'd say, what do you want to do? And she'd say, I want to go test drive cars. And so I'd call a couple of dealerships and, you know, I always say, uh, I think it's Capital Dodge in the, um, in the Ottawa Centrum there, whatever it is, uh, where the sports arena is. They, would, they, they brought a Dodge truck out. They wrapped it up, put a big bow on it. They gave her a hat and, you know, she, they let her sit on my lap while she, and she drove the truck around the thing. And, and you know, she got mad when we, we I, okay, enough, we've test driven 10 cars today. And she talked about it the whole way home. And I said, Craig, if I just had a camera here, man, I think people would want to see what her opinion is. Because she's, because of her autism, she, I remember we were going down the 417 once and I, I heard a high, I, I could tell it was a V12 or the Ferrari or Lamborghini. I said, man, there's a Ferrari. She goes, no, that's a Lamborghini. And I said, no, that's a Ferrari. She goes, no, that's a Lamborghini. And the Lamborghini came ripping up and passed us. And I was like, holy mackerel. Like she knows her stuff. Okay. So I just said, hey, let's, uh, let's call Chevy, and, and they gave us a Corvette for the day. So that's where it started, and uh, it was great. You know, we went out and we filmed for, for a couple hours, and, but it was, really, it was really cool bonding experience, and, and uh, she, just, she just was in her element. So I said, okay, well, let's see what we can do. And I, I know a bunch of wealthy people, whether it's in, you know, Primerica or outside of Primerica. I try to surround myself with those type of people, and you know, a friend of mine just bought a, a, a new Cadillac Escalade. So I thought, well, let's go see him. And so, you know, we, we went down, we did filming for the day. It was just, it's, it was a lot of fun. And the whole idea of the passenger seat, she's reviewing the car from the passenger seat. Right. And so that was the whole idea why we came up with the name. And uh, yeah, she's just, we've got, we've done a Porsche 911. Actually, to be honest with you, that was my, when I was a kid, <laughs> I, I got to, I got to uh, participate as a driver in the Ajax Car Wars. They were looking for a one, one of their drivers didn't show up, so they found out I was a race car driver. They let me drive every car but that car, and that was the last air-cooled. So it's a very special car. The value in that car is like 180000 now, even though you bought it new for one hundred and fifty. But I, I couldn't drive that car. So it's always been like there was no analog. It was, you know, no ABS, no power steering, no air-cooled. So we got to drive one of those. Nice. It was a blast. It was, an, it was a dream come true for me. 
Uh, we've got a, a couple BMWs lined up. Uh, uh, we've got an M2 uh, lined up, so we're excited for that. Um, and then we're looking for, you know, people watching this, they want to, you know, reach out to you and you can get a hold of me. We're looking for, you know, just some, some nice cars. We've got, we've got a couple lined up. The problem is with COVID right now, it's kind of put everything on hold for filming. Um, we've also had requests to do like five minute videos on, you know, just people, cars that people can afford, uh, whether it's Corollas, Hondas, you know, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's a great idea. And did you yeah. say something about being a race car driver? Mm. I started off in go-karts. Um, you know, I, I tried to transition that the money was too, uh, in, in that's the one challenge in racing is you got to have deep pockets. And, you know, this is the first time in history we've had two Canadians on the grid in formula one and, and it's deep pockets right. and uh, there's talent there. Don't get me wrong, but you, you need to have deep pockets. And this one thing I remember I was working 40 to 60 hours a week while I was going to high school just to keep my dream alive, uh, ended up going to uh, Toronto. And, and uh, after I graduated, the first job I had at a school was uh, at a um, driving school and, and racing, indoor racing, uh, go-kart. We were one of the first ones. And, and I pretty well lived at the track constantly. I was just, I, I loved it. It was, a, it's still one thing that I'm, I'm, I feel like I've got talent. I just never had the, the financial. Right. Backing. So you would know like, you know, the Tracy's and the Vivinivs and stuff yeah. like that when we were coming up. Yeah. They were with players light, I believe. Was that who they yeah. were with? Got a, yeah. I got a scar from the late Greg Moore, one of the great Canadian drivers. Um, he crashed me. It was awesome. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say like you crashed, you pulled him out of the vehicle and you punched him. Like you see a lot, uh, you see that a lot right now in, uh, in racing. Yeah, I got to race against Jacques Villeneuve in Quebec, and it was a blast. Oh, that is so sick. Yeah, I was watching um, a, a documentary on Netflix, and it was about the first African-American Formula, was uh, it, or yeah. something like that? Uh, he wasn't Formula One. He was IndyCar. IndyCar, uh, that's right. He, was, he Actually, he was one of my favorite drivers growing up because he I, I didn't really like him in IndyCar. I liked him in Trans Am. Right. And, yes, uh, he was a phenomenal Trans Am driver. He was the man. Right. Uh, the heck was his name? I can't remember, but he was one of my favorite. Willie T. Ribs. There you go. Was, I liked him because he reminded me of a Canadian hockey player. Like he didn't take crap from anybody. Right. I loved him. I, right. I loved him. Yeah. yeah was, now, go the ahead, greatest driver on the planet. Right. The greatest driver on the planet right now is African American. You know, Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton's he's still on top, and that is Formula One, right? Yeah, he is the yeah. best on the planet, and. You know, people can argue and dispute that, but man, he is something special. He is something special. You're something special, Jay. So are you, my friend. <laughs> Let's go. Cheers. Cheers to, <laughs> to Jay's. To Jay's. Well, yes. you know what? I, I think we covered everything that I that I wanted to cover and more. This was so thorough, and I'm excited for people to take the gems that you have given them and put them into practice. Of course, if you have any questions whatsoever, Jay is here to help you out. Even if you don't have any questions and you have some money that you want to invest, Jay uh, is the guy to talk to. I will personally vouch for him, and that is not something that I do a lot. This guy really knows his shit, and he really cares. And I know this because every time I sit down with him, he's saying something of the like, on top of like, heck, you know, maybe you are looking to make a couple extra bucks. That might be another avenue for you as well. Just feel free to reach out to Jay uh, and let him know. If people want to find you online, where do they got to go, my friend? To be honest, I don't, I'm not have an online, pre we're not allowed to in our industry, believe it or not. Oh. Um, 
especially not for especially not in uh, uh, Primerica. They 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 shy upon it. Okay, uh, some dark get, alley you'll find Jay selling sausages, and then he'll you slip you a package. <laughs> I do have a website. It's just Primerica.com/slash/JayLees. Uh, okay, so that's a website. And actually, to be honest, there's a lot of good little quick presentations, just 10-minute presentations on debt stacking, how to get out of debt without using any more money out of your pocket, uh, which is from the Dave Ramsey rules. And yeah, so it's, it's good stuff. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Jay. Again, uh, just an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing you on my balcony in the not too distant future, or I'll be hanging out on your acreage or whatever that is. And maybe drive around some go-karts. I uh, just want to <laughs> let you know that you can find the podcast uh, on Facebook, the Launchpad Podcast with J-Man. Uh, J-Man is alive. That would be my Instagram and my personal Facebook and on YouTube at youtube.com uh, slash uh, J-Man is alive.